Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Hey, well, good morning. How's everyone doing? You're all right? Thank you for praying with us for Haiti. It's been a weird week um, for us to learn and talk. We've talked with Britt down in Haiti um, this week, and we've talked with Bill and those who are in leadership, and uh, they're actually trying to get our Americans home at this point in time, but the uh, airport has been shut down for two weeks, so that's what makes it a little difficult to do those kinds of things, but just keep praying for them, and then pray for us that we make wise decisions, because uh, we're supposed to take two teams to Haiti in October, and at this moment, that is still the plan, um, but we are praying through what God has, because we want you guys safe, we want our people safe, we want the people of Haiti to be safe, and so we're trying to figure all that out, so just keep praying with us just for the people of Haiti, but also wisdom and what we should be doing as well. Well, if you don't know who I am, my name is Alan, and I get to be on staff here. I am not the pastor. He's not here with us this week. He'll be here back with us next Sunday. So if you're new today, you don't usually hear from me, maybe once or twice a year, um, but uh, I get to work with the staff. I get to make sure that we execute all the things that we do and make sure that all the things going on around the church, around the campus, and those things happen. And that's my job. I've been here at Journey for six years. If you were here last week, you also know me as the grill master. So so I did a great job last week of showing you how not to cook ribs. Um, and so that was a fun, uh, it was great when they just came to me and said, hey, um, this week you're going to do a video. We're not going to tell you what it's about. Just come prepared to get messy. And so uh, when I showed up, yeah, I got to grill some ribs that I don't cook ribs. Sorry, I just I buy them. Sorry, guys. I'll turn my man card in later if I need to. Um, but um, uh, we've been in a series called uh, Epic. And that's where, really where we've been talking about some of the Old Testament stories and how the big, great stories and how God's been using them and use the people to do the great things that God's called them to do. And uh, so we started this series with two weeks on Moses. Then we talked about David and Goliath. Then we talked about Esther. And then last week, our children's pastor, uh, uh, Brian Shaw, he talked to us about the servant girl who had no name. And what was cool about that is we talked about how God loves to use people who are no-named, that we won't know who they are, that we won't maybe in heaven figure out who they are, but their name is not important. And uh, we're going to kind of follow that trend today a little bit, talking about a guy that we don't normally talk about. Um, in fact, usually uh, who he worked with is who gets all the credit. And so we know of King David, but very, very seldomly do we talk about Jonathan. And so today we're going to talk about Jonathan and get there. Um, but coming up in the next few weeks is an event happening in Tokyo. Do you know what's happening in Tokyo starting in two weeks? The Olympics. Who likes to watch the Olympics? Anybody? Okay, cool. I'd like to watch the Olympics too. As an athlete, as you can tell, as an athlete, uh, I really was, that's so sad. Um, uh, I love sports. Um, so I played uh, basketball, played soccer, I actually played basketball in college, which is crazy to think, but it was a really small college. Um, it wasn't much to it. Um, but I played basketball in college. I love watching the Olympics. Um, I love everything about the Olympics, seeing uh, Athletes from all over the world come together, play sports, specifically the Summer Olympics, because those are the sports I usually care about. And so it's just fun to watch. I watch the medal tracker. Anybody watch the medal tracker the whole time? That just counts all of the bronze, silver, and medals, gold medals being taken. And I just make sure that the U.S. is in the lead. That's what I always kind of make sure happens. But I, I watch that. And, and my, my claim to fame, or what, not claim to fame, but what I wish the Olympics would do is this. I wish they'd take a normal person and allow a normal person to do every event at the same time as all the Olympics, Olympians do it. Because I always want to show how ridiculously good these people are. Like if they could see, like if they put me in the 200-meter uh, butterfly, 
race, which is swimming. All right, first of all, I wouldn't even be able to finish the race, right? I don't know if you swim or not, but it's not an easy task. It is a cardiovascular workout. But I wouldn't even be able to finish the 200 meters, much less do it quickly as fast as those Olympians do it. But I'd love to see us, I mean, watching me throw a shot put or trying to run a 100-meter dash is not something that you go, oh, that's, you're good at that. You wouldn't say that. Um, but what, to watch these Olympians do that, would be really cool. And then watch a normal person do that would just show you how ridiculously good all of these Olympians are. Well, there were two stories this week that um, happened that I thought were very cool and very much helping us go where we want to go today. They're great examples of what I want to talk about for today with us through the book. By the way, we're walking through a book. If you want to buy it, we've talked about it all summer. I think there's about five or six copies left. It's a book by John Maxwell called Running with Giants. And it's a book that our staff read last year and then that we were uh, working with um, and we we're walking through the summer with. So if you want to buy one, they're out there. It's actually a lot cheaper on Kindle, just being honest with you. That's where I read all my books. And so if you want to buy the Kindle version, it's a lot cheaper. But we have books out of the atrium as well. Um, but these Olympians, this first Olympian I want to talk about, um, you may have heard of her, or the two of them. You may not have heard of the second person, but you may have heard of the first person. And you'll see their image come. These happened on social media this week. I kind of looked on the ESPN and saw them happen as well. But the first one is Simone Biles and Jordan Childs. Now, you may have heard of Simone. Simone is not even arguably. She is the best female gymnast to ever walk this planet. Um, she is ridiculous. They call her the GOAT, which means the greatest of all time. She is by far the greatest gymnast of all time. Um, she'll be uh, competing in these Olympics here soon, um, but she's amazing. And this story came out on uh, social media this past week along with ESPN, and here's what it said. I'm going to read it to you because you learn about the other person. Jordan Childs, Childs was ready to quit gymnastics. She had been passed over for big assignments year after year due to a lack of consistency. The environment was toxic, and many in the gymnastics community had written her off. But Simone said, I see you. And in 2019, Simone invited Jordan to relocate from Washington to Texas to join the gym that Simone owns. It's a safe space with a positive environment. And when Jordan arrived, the first thing they worked on was not building her skills, but instead building her confidence. Two years later, Simone and Jordan are headed to the Olympics together. This is what is meant by lift as you climb. Trophies are nice, but the biggest flex is winning together and creating an environment where others thrive too. So that's pretty cool. In the next couple of weeks, you're going to watch Simone and Jordan compete in our, on our Olympic team and probably win a couple of medals, both of them. The next story comes actually after the Olympics, because don't you know after the Olympics, the Paralympics happen. So why don't you check out this video real quick. David Brown, the reigning world champion, goes in lane three alongside Jerome Adrian, former international sprinter for the United States. I ran with him our first practice, coach immediately said, you're gonna run with him after me. And you know, the rest has been history. Here you go. Drive, 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 drive. Stay in tight. Running with Jerome, I don't have to worry about going out too far. All I have to focus on is just listening to him. Get up. Nice. Arm action should be exact. We should be hitting the ground at the same time. This time, there are Wyatt. Crowd gets away very, very well. You see his run? Look like one person. It should look like one person running. That's the that tracking side on camera is magic to watch because it just shows that they're running almost like one person. 
Almost like, yeah, almost like one person, right? That's what the video said. I don't know if you noticed in the video, but um, their names are, they call their nickname Team Bravery. It's uh, Jerome Avery and David Brown. Well, Jerome is an international sprinter who gave up his success to help David Brown, the blind sprinter, become who he's supposed to be. But he said in there, it's, it's like one person. I don't know if you notice you're watching the video, right? Jerome did this to David, to watch David. We're, we're, we're here for him. And then he also, as David was holding up his flag after winning, where's Jerome? And Jerome's in the background. Jerome's just doing, he did his job already. He's letting him have the spotlight. So these are just a few examples of what we're going to be talking about today. What does it take for someone to give up something so that someone else succeeds? What does it take for us to give up something so that someone else succeeds? That's where we're going to go. What that takes is, that takes big picture thinking. It takes big picture thinking. We want to become big picture thinkers. So Google defines big picture as this. Big picture brings wholeness and maturity to a person. It brings perspective. Here at Journey, we actually have on our staff what's called the big picture team. It's members of our staff who are all basically responsible for different areas of our church. And that team meets usually once a week to go over the things that go on at Journey, that we wanna make sure that children are taken care of, students are taken care of, adults are taken care of, missions is taken care of, finances are taken care of, uh, creative, what happens on the weekends is taken care of. All the things that go on, we have a team that's called the big picture. And our job is to bring our perspectives. There's men and women, people of color, all on this team to make sure we are all trying to bring the right perspectives to our team because we want to be whole and we want to be mature. And so we want to be big picture thinkers. Well, for today, here's how we're going to define big picture. Here's how I'm going to define big pictures for us today is this, looking beyond yourself to see what God is doing in your life and the lives of those around you. Let me say it again. Looking beyond yourself to see what God is doing in your life and in the lives of those around you because we want to be big picture thinkers. We wanna be people who are big picture thinkers and who are helping others along the way. So that's where we're gonna go today. Um, I just got back from vacation a couple of weeks ago. Anybody ever been to Pigeon Forge? Went to Pigeon Forge for the first time. Um, And my family, my wife and two kids, I have an 11 year old and a seven year old who turned seven during the week of that week. Um, And we went with our friends um, who have three children, um, and they are all the five kids. We stayed in the cabin. All five kids were under the age of 12, so we had a blast. <laughs> well, if, you, if you've been through those days, yep. Mm-hmm. But kids really aren't big-picture thinkers, right? In fact, our kids could have stayed. Um, in fact, we got a cabin. This, this is what was so frustrating. We got a cabin that had a downstairs playroom with a pool table and a video game machine, and all that kind of stuff. And the, uh, my, my friend's uh, twin boys brought a little ping pong net and ping pong table or ping pong paddles that you could put on any table. And they put it on the dining room table on the main floor and wanted to play ping pong all the time, right? It's like, we bought, we rented this place, you'd go sit down there. But kids don't think about anybody but who? themselves and the immediate around them, right? In fact, we go to a water park and the first thing they see is the wave pool, which is cool. And they jump in the wave pool, but they would have stayed in the wave pool 
Had we not said, hey, come on, let's go ride the rides. Let's go do the things that we came to do. We paid money to be here, not just to sit in a wave pool, right? I'm totally being a dad in this moment. Um, but we try to do that. But if left to themselves, they would have only thought about themselves and thought about the immediate. But we expect kids to do that, right? It's kind of like, yeah, they're kids. They don't know any better. We don't expect adults to do that, right? I worked with teenagers for 10 years and I gave a lot of grace to teenagers because I expected teenagers to make mistakes. Just to be honest, I struggle to give that same grace to adults because I hope that we have grown up a little bit more and matured and can become big picture thinkers. Well, today we're going to try to do that because the tension is we all just honestly, we think about ourselves and we think of usually about the immediate and we think about only that. I want us to kind of do that. There's a great quote by a guy named John Piper who says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. God's always doing 10,000 things in your life. For us to become big picture thinkers, we have to be aware that God is doing all kinds of things around us and we may be involved in them, but they, only three of them may be about us. And for us, the rest are probably for everyone else and what God's trying to do. And so I want us to become big picture thinkers. So we're going to jump into the Bible today. That's probably where we should go every time we're in church, right? We're going to jump in the Bible. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you want to find the book of 1 Samuel, we'll kind of give you an overview real quick. And then we'll jump into our scriptures. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to be on the screens in a couple of minutes. That's fine. So the book of 1 Samuel comes after the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges... The people of Israel keep doing a lot of dumb stuff. They keep messing up. They keep just kind of doing their own thing, not listening to God. He brings in a judge. The judge says, hey, get your act together. Do right. Do this. They do it. They go, okay, yes, you're right. Sorry, we'll not mess up. Then they mess up again. And then the judge comes in and says, hey, stop doing that. And then the judge comes, then they mess up again. This cycle continues. It's a parenting cycle all over and over again. Stop doing that. Do right. Okay, we'll do right. Jump back to it. So this book happens right before. And then Samuel, a prophet, a messenger of God, shows up and has some things to say to the people of Israel. And he's telling them how they should live, how they should act, right? What God wants for them, what God's trying to do in their life. And things start to go pretty well. First part of 1 Samuel is going pretty good and he's working and he's doing the things that God's called him to do. Well, towards the end of Samuel's life, the people around the nation of Israel, other nations and other peoples decide, hey, you know what? That land looks good. Those people look good. We're gonna try to attack and we're gonna try to take over. And so people are starting to attack and the people of Israel think, you know what? We need a king. A king will help us. If we have someone who can show, up, show, off, uh, show us off, who can, who can step up for us, if we just had a king, we'd be all right. Now, the problem with this is that Samuel said, we don't need a king because you have God. You don't need a king. You don't need a human king. You have an eternal father, an eternal God. And in fact, he had shown this to them already because they'd already come out of Egypt. They'd already done these things. And so they're going, look, I've already brought you out with a cloud, with Moses, like we've talked about before. These epic stories happen. He's going, you don't need an earthly king. But the people of Israel said, you know what? We need an earthly king. We need somebody who can look the part for us. And so Samuel relents and they get a king and his name is King Saul. Yeah, good job, Bible people. Saul, Saul becomes king. But here's the thing, Saul just looks the part. 
He can't play the part. He does a lot of dumb stuff, which is, to be honest, if I was made king, I'd probably make dumb stuff. Unfortunately, just to be, if we're really in connecting everything together today, uh, we were here, we were, I was at Journey, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when this Haitian president became king, became president. And the Haitian people were very excited about him becoming the president because he was one of them. He was a farmer. He had done that. And unfortunately, in this five to six years, power had corrupted, made a lot of not wise decisions. And unfortunately, that can happen to a lot of us. If we're self-aware, we probably would make some bad decisions if we had all power as well. And so they get Saul, they get King Saul, and he just does some dumb stuff. And God says, you know what? I'm moving on from Saul's family. I'm going to anoint a new king. And so he takes Samuel. He says, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. Go hang out with Jesse, and you're going to anoint one of his sons to become king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and he says, hey, show me your sons. We gotta, I'm here to anoint a new king. And so he brings out his oldest son, because that's what you do. You bring out the firstborn. Nope, that's not him. Okay, the next one, nope, that's not him, and goes through multiple sons. And Samuel was like, yeah, well, you, do you have any more sons? And he's like, well, yeah, I got one. He's out in the field watching the sheep. He's doing his job. He's my youngest. Well, bring him here. And Samuel is reminded that God says, I don't look at the outward appearance of man. I look at the heart. And so Samuel finds David, and there we find King David. And Samuel anoints King David. And this has happened in 1 Samuel chapter, I believe, 16. And then David beats Goliath in chapter 17. And then here we're going to start with it is in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. So let's look at these verses together and see what's going on. It says this, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow in his belt. You see, a big picture thinker is someone who's allowing yourself to see yourself in the right perspective. You allow yourself to see yourself in the right perspective. God had done something. God was working. God was moving. He said, this guy, David, is going to be the new king. Well, to be honest, Jonathan should have been in line. He was heir to the throne. He should have been king. But Jonathan understood what God was doing and stepped aside. Now, we just say that kind of like nonchalantly, but that's a big deal. For someone to go, I'm going to be king, I'm next in line, to go, you know what? God's doing something different. It's not going to be through me. I'm going to step aside. But I'm also going to do what God's called me to do, and I'm going to make him who he's supposed to be. I'm going to prepare him and help him be who God's called him. God's going to do great things through this King David, and I'm going to help him. Now, it says his, his soul was knit together as one, like one, like we saw in the video a minute ago, being together, doing things for, this way. This is what he was doing. This is what Jonathan was doing for us. And so it takes a lot to see yourself in the right perspective, to go, you know what? This is the position I've been given. These are the responsibilities I've been given. I'm going to do the right thing. And that's what Jonathan was willing to do. And so we have to be aware of that. You have to have that perspective. You have to see yourself in the right perspective. Now, we also cannot see ourselves in the right perspective, 
I wanna give you two fun times that I didn't see myself in the right perspective. Back in 2008, when I was a youth pastor, I had the opportunity to go to China um, with, the, with, uh, with the missions team who was going there. This was right after a massive earthquake in China had happened in 2008 that killed 120,000 people. Um, and so they were it's in the city of Chengdu, China, which is down south of China. 10 million people lived in this city. Um, and so there, there they were. Well, part of the job or that week, my favorite part, and you'll hear why it's my favorite part in a moment, um, of the whole trip was we got to the chance to go to this university and we got a chance to speak to these students. Uh, it, was a, it was a university of about 6,000 students. And here's what they simply said. Hey, there's 12 Americans here. If you'd love to go talk to them and work on your English, we're providing a space at this hall. There'll be some fruit for you to have as appetizers and you can come talk to Americans. That's literally a school the size of Augusta State, basically. Well, us 12 Americans show up. There's 200 to 250 college students there. And each one of us sits at a table um, and we talk to uh, these Chinese students. Whoever the best speak, English-speaking Chinese student became the interpreter for the whole table. And so they asked us questions. So here I sit, um, basically a 30-year-old youth pastor from Augusta, Georgia, sitting at a table in China, and they're asking me all kinds of questions about California and Los Angeles and what Hollywood's like. And I was immediately told them, you know what, I've been to LA one time and it was literally three days ago when I got on a plane, off of a plane from Atlanta and LAX to get on an international flight to come to you. It's the only time I've ever been. I literally live on the other side of the country. Well, after that talk for a little while, I actually got the opportunity to talk to the whole group. So I'm talking to all 250 students. Well, we'll talk to them for a few minutes and we do our thing. And then after it's over, not lying, not exaggerating, 40 to 50 of the students want to take a picture with me. So individually walk up to me and every t- literally every time, 40 to 50 times, may I take a photo with you? Yes, so they take their camera and I stand there and I take a picture. Well, in that moment, my perspective could be that I'm the greatest thing that's ever happened to this school. Here I am talking to 40 or 50, they're taking my picture with everybody, right? The truth is I'm just some no-name youth pastor from Augusta, Georgia, who they'll never see again nor talk to, but my perspective could have been off. I had too much of a big head in that moment. Well, the other time is when I was a smaller kid and I got the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon. Now, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it's grand, it's big, it's huge, right? It's a massive place where I feel so small. Only time I felt this small, honestly, was a couple years ago when I got to to go to New York City and stand with the 8 million people who decided to watch the fireworks together amongst these massive buildings. Those are times where I've seen the bigness and I felt the smallness of everything. But when I have a right perspective of what God's called me to be and what God's called me to do, I'm becoming a big picture thinker. I'm seeing that I'm going to be who God called me to be and I'm going to do the things that God calls calls me to do. You can be a big picture thinker. Jonathan here was able to see himself in the right perspective. In fact, in verse four, it says this. He says that he took his robe, his armor, the sword and bow bow and belt and gave them to David. So why was this important? Because Jonathan was humbling himself and putting David in the position that he was in, that he could have been in, that he should have been in. This was huge in their culture for him to give these things. There comes David, who was a poor shepherd boy, right? 
Now he has armor and a shield and a bow and the clothes of a king. And this is what Jonathan did for him. The truth is, this is also what Jesus has done for us. All of this is really a foreshadowing of what Jesus ultimately does, right? In the book of Philippians in the New Testament, Paul says that Jesus humbled himself, right? Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself to that of a servant. Jonathan is just an echo, a foreshadowing here of what Jesus ultimately does for us in the New Testament. The next thing is this, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, he tells us this. And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose this to you? That's a really weird sentence to say, look, I'm going to find out if my dad likes you right now or not. And when I find out, I'm going to tell you. That's basically what he's saying right here. But it should please my father to do you harm. The Lord do so to Jonathan and more if I do not disclose this to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from the house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of, it, of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. The second thing a big picture person does is he allows himself, allows yourself to see others in the right perspective. You see yourself in the right perspective, but you have to see others in the right perspective as well. Jonathan knew that God was doing something great with David, but Jonathan also knew that his dad wanted to kill him, that King Saul wanted to kill him. And so he, let, he set up David to hide and to get away from Saul if that was what was needed. So since he saw himself correctly, he could see David correctly. So Jonathan used his position, his friendship, his time, his energy to make sure that David would be who God wanted him to be. He used all of his resources, everything that he had to make sure David could become who he wanted him to be, who God called him to be. The truth is normally we focus all of our energy and our time and our resources on us not someone else, not to that level. So we, we have to, we're too busy looking at ourselves, what's going on around us. We're too busy thinking about only things that we care about. Sometimes we get so much caring about what we are going on with us that we think everyone else is thinking about us. When the truth is, most of the time, nobody thinks about you besides yourself, right? I mean, if we're honest, you really care about you, Maybe your family, and that's about it. You really don't. I mean, you spend most of your waking hours thinking about what can be done for yourself and what can, I, I do, right? I, I'll let you in on a little secret from myself. When I was in college, I, I, um, I worked at a car lot, a used car lot over on Riceboro Road, sold cars, right? Sold all kinds of cars, cleaned all kinds of cars, went and picked up cars, repossessed cars. That was fun. Um, but I worked with cars. So I've always kind of just enjoyed cars because of that time of experience in my life. Well, the car I specifically like is a Jeep. Anybody ever own a Jeep? Right? I got a Jeep. I'm on my fifth Jeep right now. And so I love Jeeps. My first four-door, kind of like Jeeps, kind of like doing that thing. But here's what I also know. How many of you care that I drive a Jeep? 
I got one. Thanks, thanks, Logan. One. One person cares that I drive a Jeep, right? You don't think, wow, man, Alan, that's really great. I was thinking about you today. I was wondering, it was going to rain today. I was wondering if you had your doors off or on because I know you drive a Jeep. You don't care, right? You haven't spent any waking moment thinking about what car I drive because we spend 90% of our time thinking about us. Thinking about what you, you worry about your car, right? What you drive, right? You worry about what you wear, what you do, what you eat, but you're not really thinking about other people. This is the honest truth. Most people aren't focusing on us. You don't care what goes on, but I care. And I care that you don't care, right? It bothers me, but because I'm a little picture thinking person, not a big picture thinking person. You have to take, if you have yourself in the right perspective, you can, it allows you to see others in the right perspective. You gotta see others in the right perspective. Back to the verses right here where he says in 1 Samuel. We have an interesting word choice here in the phrases back right around verse 14, where he says, steadfast love. Jonathan was asking David to show him the same kind of love that he was giving. In other words, in another foreshadowing, this is the same kind of love that Jesus offers us, is a steadfast love. It's immovable. It's firm. We live in a culture that everything is movable. Nothing is firm. Jonathan was offering to David a love that wasn't gonna go anywhere. He was gonna be there for him. We live in a culture that if it breaks, you throw it away. You don't fix it. If you make a mistake, you get canceled. We, all, we live in a world where we just, we are so unkind to people. The good thing about this is that as Christians, we have the opportunity to stand out in our culture, to not cancel when someone messes up, but to offer forgiveness, to offer uh, mercy. We can be people who are, don't just run away when things get broken. To be honest, the easiest thing for us this week to do would have been to cancel our trips to Haiti. Just quick, easy. We're not going down there. It's too dangerous, which we're going to pay attention to that. It might be too dangerous, but we still want to be a light to a people to go and help fix, to go and be, re- because we see ourselves in the right perspective and the, God, the, the job that God's given us, we still want to do our job for other people. We want to see them in our, we want to give light and be light in those situations. Big picture people see themselves in the right perspective and they see others in the right perspective. Let's keep going. The last one is this. Here's what 1 Samuel chapter 20 verses 30 through 34 say. We get a really wild verse here in a moment. So if you're paying attention, just it's the word choice is pretty crazy. So 1 Samuel 20, 30 through 34. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Oh, okay. All right. Do I, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Well, the Bible sometimes, you should read it more often. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. He's basically saying to him, look, you're not gonna get your own kingdom because of what you're doing, Jonathan. And Jonathan's kind of going like, yeah, I know. God's already said that one and I'm doing what God's called me to do. But Saul still sees it about him, himself and only his things. Therefore send to me, send and bring him to me for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul to his father. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. There's your epic moment, right? 
Saul, Jonathan's taken up for David and Saul just go ahead and chunks the spear right at, right at Jonathan. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death, obviously. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. The third person is this. Doing a big picture person is someone who's doing what is right even when it costs you. It's someone who does what is right even though it could cost you. The question is this. Are you willing to do the right thing when you know it's going to cost you something? Are you willing to do the right thing when you know it's going to cost you something? If we're honest, right? I like being honest. We sometimes won't do the right thing just because it's inconvenient. It's just going to cost us a little more time or energy, right? I'm parenting now, right? I've told you, I have kids, 12-year-old, and almost 12-year-old and 7-year-old. There's sometimes I stop disciplining my children because it's inconvenient to me right? Like, I don't want to have to deal with it anymore. Just go, do whatever, whatever. That's not great parenting, to be honest, right? We won't even do the hard things sometimes just because it's inconvenient, much less if it's hard or actually cost us something, right? But if we become big picture thinkers, we will look for what God is doing and we'll join them. We'll look for the ways God's working and we'll join them in it. And we'll do this no matter who gets the credit. We may not receive any credit for what we do in God's kingdom. And that's okay. That's what I loved. What stuck out to me most from last week's message from Brian is that God loves using no name people. He wants to use people. He's just going to do what he, he wants to use people. He wants to use us. And our job is to find where God is working and join him. But it's not so that we get credit. It's so that he can get credit. He gets all the glory. The Bible tells us later on, that's Philippians 2, that everyone will bow to the name of Jesus. Not Alan, not Journey, not your name. We have to do what, it's called, what it costs us. Um, Andy Stanley said this quote a few years ago, and it's stuck with me ever since. Andy said, my greatest success could be someone I raise instead of something I do. I'll read it again. Andy Stanley said, my greatest success could be someone I raise instead of something I do. I care a lot about what I do in my ministry and in my job and in my life because I'm selfish that way. And that was a great reminder to me that, you know what? It could be one of my kids who does the greatest things in ministry. God kind of reinforced this message to me this morning. Um, I try to read through the Bible in a year. And as I was listening to it this morning, um, it came to 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. Now you may know, okay, 2 Kings chapter 22. Well, those verses, those chapters are important to me because they talk about a king named Josiah who happens to be my son's name is Josiah. And so, in 23, it talks about all the good things that Josiah does. It was a great reminder to me to be a big picture thinker. Not for me, but for my kids. 
All right, enough of that. So what if we could slow down a little bit today to see what God's doing in our lives? Maybe you've had a rough week. Maybe you've had a great week. But can you slow down for just a minute today to figure out what God's doing in your life? What God's doing in the lives of those around you? Think about it for a second. What's he doing? What's God figuring out in your life right now? What do you think God's working on and working in in your life? Right this moment. And how is he gonna use you to do those things? Here's the biggest miss we would make today. You ready? You might be thinking, who is my Jonathan in my life? And what you should be thinking is, who can I be a Jonathan for in their life? We get worried about us, when really we should be worried about who we're building up. Who can we be a Jonathan for? The heroes of the story today were Simone Biles because she offered Jordan Childs something great. And also Jerome Avery because he did a great thing for David Brown. Who can you be a Jonathan for? Today's prayer is not, I hope I can find my Jonathan to help me out. But who can I be a Jonathan for? What, what would our world look like differently if we could be those kinds of people? What would our family look like? What would our schools look like? What would our communities look like? What could our church look like? I mean, look, the music's wonderful here. The speaking is better on other weekends. But what really makes people stick and stand out is when we, the church, the people of the church, become Jonathans for other people. That's why people will stay. It won't matter who's speaking. It won't matter who's singing. What will matter is what we are helping each other accomplish. The good, the God things that God's asked of us. And so how do we become that? How do we do those things? That's what we wanna be. Now all this is Jonathan's great. And Jonathan's an epic story. But like we said, it kind of throughout this message, Jonathan is also just a foreshadowing to a guy named Jesus, who it is really all about, who we should be emulating at all times. In Philippians 2, if you want to do anything today, is go home and read Philippians 2, because it'll help you see all that we should do to help each other out, but also points us right back to Jesus and says it's his name above all names and that he gave up his life for us. And that's why we sit here today. That's why we come to church, to lift up the name of Jesus, because he gave his life up for us. And if you don't have a relationship with him, that's the most important thing you can do today. I don't want you to try to become a Jonathan without first having Jesus in your life. And so if that's a conversation you need to have, we have people after service who would, be loved, who would love to talk to you about that, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And once you have that in order, then man, become the best Jonathan you can become. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that we have stories like Jonathan. That God, so many times we get focused on 
King David and how amazing he was and the Psalms that he wrote and the things that he does for you and the fact that he got called a man after God's own heart. But that sometimes we forget that there was a Jonathan behind him who encouraged him, who gave up his position and his success for him. God help us. Thank you for Jesus, most of all. Thank you that he, he literally gave his life for us. Jonathan was concerned with the people of Israel, with David and what happened there. Jesus is concerned with all of mankind and offers his life and his blood for all of us that we could have eternal life. So while we want to be like Jonathan, we are most grateful for Jesus. So God, help us, help us today. Make us aware this week um, to the things going on around us that we can help and be, that we can be a Jonathan for someone, that we can show someone the love of Jesus. God, we do lift up Haiti to you. God, we ask that you would give wisdom, that you would help the people, that God, you would shine your light bright in their world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.